Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, hi, Ebenezer family and friends. Uh, my name is Pastor Leighton Erickson. I serve at Ebenezer as lead pastor, in case you're new to us today. Uh, one of the upsides of COVID is that it's forced churches like ours to improve our online presence. For us, that meant not only to post weekly sermons and other videos, but it also included a complete overhaul of our website so that it would be a little bit more user-friendly and so that its content would be a bit more inviting to the world that was now coming to us. Now, one of the things that we felt we needed to rework was our mission statement. It's not that our mission had changed, but we realized the language we were using probably had more traction with the church crowd than with the average person online. And so we changed it from our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations to this. Our mission is to point people to Jesus and then help them know and follow him. Now, I hope this mission statement uh, you will, that will be easy for you to remember. And if anyone ever asks you what Ebenezer is all about, you'll be quick to say, I know exactly what we're about. Our mission is to point people to Jesus and then help them to know and follow him. But more importantly than knowing this mission statement, I hope this is a mission that we can all live. But before we live it, we actually have to believe it. And our mission is to point to people to Jesus, but, but why? Well, because we believe Jesus is the only way, and he's the only truth, and he's the only life. And this is something that I believe with all my heart, and hopefully you do too or at least you will as we engage our current sermon series we're calling, Why Jesus? Now, if you've been with us for the first two sermons in this series, you'll know that our anchor text is John 14, 6. And in this verse, Jesus speaks of himself and reveals who he is. In the context of the Gospels, it is one of the seven I am statements Jesus made that revealed to the world that he was God. And this is what he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as Pastor Cal said a few weeks ago, these 18 words absolutely rock the establishment of that day. Because by saying that he was the way and that he was the truth and he was the life, he was declaring that he was deity. And he was claiming exclusivity. And those things rubbed against the culture of his day, just like they rub against the culture of our day. And so that's why we're gonna take three weeks to explore each of these statements. In week one, Pastor Cal, talked about the fact that Jesus is the only way to the Father. In a week two, Pastor Kelly talked about the fact that Jesus' life is a perfect example for us to follow. And today, as I answer the question, why Jesus, I'm going to talk about the fact that it's because the way of Jesus is best. It is the only road to true joy and contentment in life. And it's the only path that brings healing and restores wholeness to the brokenness of our lives and this world. Now, I also believe with all my heart that what God has given me to share this morning is a message that needs to be heard by many of you who are listening today. And I say that because Satan, the deceiver, who's known as the father of lies, has done his job well. He has convinced people of all ages, from all backgrounds, that the way of Jesus is not best, and that the God of the Bible is not the only way to healing and wholeness. 
In John chapter 8, Jesus gives a vivid description of Satan and his ways. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus makes another I am declaration saying this. He says, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. But sadly, later in that same chapter, Jesus had to rebuke the religious, religious establishment because they were choosing to walk in darkness rather than his light. You see, Satan had deceived them. He had blinded them to the truth. Listen to what Jesus says about the religious leaders in verse 43 to 45 and about Satan. He says this, You can't understand what I'm saying. It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Now, when it comes to lying and, and deceiving and twisting the truth, the devil is in a class all his own. He is a liar by his very nature and, the entire, and his entire motivation, his reason for being is to lie and to deceive people like you and me. And he's been very effective at that. He's honed his craft for thousands of years. He's so good, in fact, and so subtle in what he does that he often looks like the angel of light. But don't be fooled. That's just the costume he masquerades in to deceive people like you and me. And he's done just that. The truth is, is that many people listening to this sermon have already been duped into believing the greatest lies of Satan. And two of those lies are that God is not a good God and that his ways are not best. Now, you may not realize this, but almost every time, if not every time I preach, I have a target audience in mind. I have a picture of who especially needs to hear the words that God has put on my heart and mind. Now, I rarely have ever shared that, but this morning I'm actually going to. And as I prepared today, I thought of, first of all, of every young teenager who is growing up in the church today who are in the process of deciding if the faith in God of their parents is going to be their faith in God. Now, I understand this battle well. It was in my mid-teens that this battle raged in me. And except by the grace of God and the right people entering in my life at the right time, I could have been duped into abandoning the ways of God for the ways of the world. For me, the TSN turning point happened at a weekend retreat when I was about 16 years old. I remember it well. I went to the camp primarily to try and meet a pretty girl. But instead, I ended up meeting Jesus in a new way. And that weekend changed the trajectory of my life forever. Now, I'm sure some of you can relate to that story. And you're either questioning your faith right now, or you've, or, or you've already taken steps to walk away from God. But before you make any final decision, just realize that your heart and mind is actually a battleground right now. And that the deceiver is trying to dupe you into believing that his ways and the ways of the world are best and not God's ways. A second group that I thought of was every adult believer who is being tempted right now to abandon the ways of God for something in the world, whatever that might be. It could be money, it could be sex, it could be sports, it could be work, whatever that is. And we know that by reading the pages of Scripture and through the lives of many we know personally, that many godly men and women have been enticed to chase after the pleasures of this world 
at the expense of their relationship with God because they believe the father of lies rather than believing the author of truth. As I prepared this week, I also thought of every person who is questioning and doubting their faith because of a challenge or disappointment in their life. You see, when God doesn't answer us the way we want him to or in the timing we want him to, we become vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. And then a fourth group I thought of was was just every believer who has become complacent in their faith. And that's easy for us to do at at all times, especially in this season. And and we just allow our lives to to drift away from our devotion to God, which is actually something that is, is natural and normal for us to do. And again, when we start drifting away from God, we become vulnerable to disconnect from the vine, to become vulnerable to the lies of the enemy. Now, if that's you, or if there's someone in your life who is in that space, then I want you to lean in. And I want you to listen this morning because I believe that God is a word for you. Why do we point people to Jesus? Because his way is best. And even Satan knows this. But he's a liar and he's a thief. And we know in scripture that his mission is to steal and kill and destroy. He actually wants to rob you of God's good life. And he wants to bring destruction in your life. Now, to tackle this topic today, I want to put three questions on the table that address uh, three of the deepest longings of the human heart and are at the core of what I see people wrestling with today. And one of the, the greatest longings of the human heart is the longing to be happy. And when I say happy, I, I mean to have a genuine joy and a true contentment in life. So the first question I want to ask is this. Will the way of Jesus and the ways of God truly bring joy and satisfaction and fullness to my life? In other words, are the ways of God really fulfilling? Now, right now, I'm reading through uh, my Bible chronologically, like we did a few years ago in the Read read the Bible uh, for Life campaign. Uh, But several, uh, just this week, I read several passages that really fit right into today's sermon and helped answer that first question. Do the ways of God truly bring joy and satisfaction and fullness to my life. Here's some of the things that I read this week. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path of sinners, or join the group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bear fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Psalm 33. Happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh. Psalm 40. How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Consistently throughout the entire scripture, we see that life and fullness and blessing are found in God and his ways. Even Jesus in John 10.10 contrasts his ways with the way of Satan, saying the thief comes to only steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you might have life and have it in abundance. But the question is, is it true? Does God really give us life in abundance? Now, a lot of people don't believe it is true, at least not by their actions. They've been duped to believe that the father, the father of lies version of happiness with one of the greatest and oldest lies known to mankind. And that is this, that happiness is found in things. It's found in the things of the world, things that don't last, 
They're called temporal things. Now, many of you will already know this, although there may be some who don't, but uh, you might be aware that there was a man of great resource in the Bible named King Solomon. And he set out to find and prove that happiness could be found apart from God and in the things of the world. He kept a journal, or he wrote a documentary about this pursuit. Now Solomon, like many of us, uh, was like many of us in that he grew up in a God-fearing home. King David was his father. And he initial, initially followed the ways of God. But unfortunately, and slowly over time, he abandoned the ways of God and pursued the ways of the world. This was not an instant decision, but rather a slow drift over time because of the choices that he made. But what he discovers uh, is the farther he drifts away from God, the more unhappy he actually becomes. But rather than returning to God, Solomon doubles down and he just goes all in and he sets out to prove to God and to himself and to others that happiness can be found in the things of the world. Now where Solomon differs from the average person like you and me is that he had, he had unlimited resources and he had absolute power and he had, he had privilege and influence in his position so he could pursue whatever he wanted to do in whatever way he wanted to do it in ways that we could not. Now the book of Ecclesiastes is really his personal journey and his personal journal, journal in this, in his quest to find purpose and meaning and happiness in life. And it says in this book that he looked everywhere, that he pursued wisdom and knowledge, but his conclusion was that was meaningless. He pursued sexual pleasures and pleasures of all kind. And he said, that too is meaningless. He tried alcohol and other drugs and said, that's empty. He tried to accumulate material possessions and he tried the arts and he, he built buildings and started businesses. And again, he said, all those things were, were empty. Now don't forget again, Solomon was the type of guy that, that because of his position of wealth could actually acquire anything he laid his eyes on. And he didn't deny himself one thing. But his conclusion in tasting it all was that it was, it was unsatisfying. He says it's like chasing after the wind, absolutely meaningless. And we would be wise to learn from his journey and his mistakes rather than getting to the end of our life and realizing that everything we thought would bring us happiness didn't. And everything that we thought would add value to our life did not. And yet, uh, people today continue to pursue that elusive pursuit. They leave one job for another. They abandon one relationship to chase after something newer or different or better. They try to escape from their problems through drugs or by being busy. But in the end, they still find themselves feeling empty. Blaise Pascal put it this way. He says that there is within every man a God-shaped vacuum, an emptiness that only he, God, can fill. And at the end of his pursuit, King Solomon concluded that it was impossible. It was absolutely impossible to find true happiness apart from God. Saying this, that fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So don't believe the lie that happiness can be found in things, or in pursuits, or in relationships. True joy and contentment is found in Jesus and his ways. Now a second longing of the human heart is the longing for significance. You know, most of us want our lives to count. We don't want to be forgotten when we die. 
We want our lives to be more than that little dash on a tombstone. We long to leave a legacy for others to build on. And so, so the question I want to ask is, does the way of Jesus and the ways of God help us impact the world and leave a legacy for others to follow? The question of significance is really a question of investment. Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on this earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So the question is, how do we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? Well, it, it's by investing in eternal matters, not temporal things. It's by investing in others who carry on, who can carry on our legacy. But guess what the father of lies tries to convince us? He tries to convince us that we should live for ourselves and not for others. And he tries to convince us that we should live for this life and not the life to come. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And a bit later on in that chapter, we, we see that these verses in verse 13. It says, And all these people that he referenced before were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers in the land, in, in the, on the earth. You, you see, they had an eternal perspective on their life, even though they didn't see it materialized in their life now. And here we are, thousands of years later, still talking about them. Solomon, the same person I talked about earlier, he says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Now, the problem is, is that a lot of us don't think about eternity. We think about here and now. And, and in Jeremiah, and there's, this, there's this kind of amazing verse. It's a verse of indictment on us. And this is what, what God says to his people. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, again, what, what this is meaning is that as they spent their lives building something, in the end, that when they looked to see what was there, it, it had gone, it, it had seeped out. It was nothing. And we do not want to live our lives in that way. We don't want to live our lives for ourselves. And then at the end of the day, we wonder, well, what did we accomplish? And we see it was nothing. Because if we want to make an impact, then we have to think about eternity. If we want to make an impact and leave a legacy for others, uh, we have to invest in things that matter for eternity. Now, there's a third longing of the human heart, and that's the longing for healing and wholeness. We want to experience this in the relationships of our lives. We want, to, we want the world to experience the wholeness and restoration. And so the question that I, I want to ask around this is, is, is the way of Jesus and the ways of God the answer to the challenges we face in life and the problems of this world? In other words, are the ways of God really best? And do they really work in real life? Let me ask you a question. Uh, what's the cry of the world right now? Well, we're seeing lots of cries right now, but some of the ones that are coming out uh, loud and clear are there's a cry for justice and there's a cry for truth. 
And there's a cry for those in power to do the right thing. And we might think that this is unique to this season, that the circumstances around us have allowed people to cry for these things. But the truth is, is that God has been championing, championing righteousness and justice from the very beginning. Psalm 33, another verse I just read this week, says this, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is trustworthy. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. You see, God hates injustice, and he detests acts of unrighteousness. When Jesus came, he, he taught his disciples a new way, under a new king, totally different from the way his disciples used to live. His teaching on this new kingdom is found in Matthew 5-7, through 7, which is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he said things like this, You've heard it said, don't murder. Well, I say, even getting angry will bring my judgment. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. I say, even thinking lustful thoughts will bring my judgment. You've heard it say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, if anyone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. And you pray for those that persecute you. Forgive others' trespasses. Now, when the disciples heard these things and the people around them, I, I'm sure they thought, this is impossible. How could we do this? And the truth was, is it was impossible. And that's the point. We cannot accomplish these things on our own. Our own human strength and our own human wisdom will never bring about the righteousness that God requires of us and in us. We need supernatural intervention. And that's why the ways of God are best. Because no other uh, person, no other entity can come and change the human heart. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. I love how Warren Worsby uh, puts it. Uh, he's a author and, former, and a speaker and he says this, the heart of the problem is almost always the problem with the human heart. And here's what he means by that. That the broken and damaged relationships will remain broken and damaged unless God softens our hearts and helps us to forgive. Injustices and abuses of power will continue unless God changes our selfish hearts into selfless hearts. Crimes will continue to be committed unless God captures and changes the hearts of men. Why Jesus? Because he is the only one who can change the heart of a man. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Philippians 1.6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Galatians 2.20, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Colossians 2.9 says this, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given the fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of a man, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and in, your, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. He canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, uh, that is what Jesus Christ has done for us. It, it's only through Jesus Christ that, we, that our hearts can be changed. It's only through Jesus Christ, not through the, the policies of government, not through the, the finances that we throw at programs, not through counselors, although these things are all good things, but it's only through the, the changed hearts that brought about by Jesus Christ that, that man can be restored into all the things that we long for, that the justices, injustices made right, the wrongs made right, the hurts healed, only through Jesus Christ. And, and his longing was to do that for us, and he accomplished that for us on the cross. And so this morning, as we close off, I would just like to uh, take time to celebrate the Lord's Supper together again. Because uh, it's, it's this supper that we celebrate that proves to us that our hearts can be changed. And what we read in Scripture is this, is that while uh, Jesus was in the, in the upper room and while they were still eating, uh, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. And so let's take and eat this together today. And then it says that Jesus uh, took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in, in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink this together. Would you pray with me? So Father, we um, we're just in awe at your goodness to us. You know the longings of our heart. You know the lies of the enemy. And you know how it's you and the way of Jesus and the ways of God that actually bring the wholeness and the joy and the contentment in life that we long for. It's only you and the way of Jesus and the ways of God that actually bring about the healing and the restoration in our personal lives and in the brokenness we see in the world. And so, Father, I thank you that you made this possible on the cross. 
that when you died, you gave us the opportunity to be a new creation in Christ and to give us a new heart. And so, God, may we embrace this, and may you continue to do your good work in us. And then, Father, I pray especially for those who are, are still um, being duped by the lies of the enemy, that you would protect them, that you would show them that you are truth, that you would show them that you are life, that you would show them that you are the only way. And so, God, thank you for this day, and thank you for your son. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you very much, and God bless. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.